I think that this statement could be agreed upon by pretty much everyone, I would hope so. There is far too much verbal abuse in our society in this day and age. Maybe it's always been there, but it's just festering up in the time in which we live. Just this month, I've, I've read, I've heard people being referred to as, an individual being referred to as a dog. Another individual being referred to as a thief. I saw one individual being referred to as a crazed, stumbling lunatic. There was another person referred to as Pocahontas. And then I saw someone referred to as Horseface. And this is all just the Twitter account of our president of the United States. Whether it be the highest office in the land or all the way down, I would say, even to the anonymous connection cards we sometimes receive in our offering plates. There are too many bullies and there is too much verbal abuse in our society. In the Adventist church, as I mentioned in my in-community time, there's a movement called End It Now, and we've, we've talked about every year we, we, we take a Sabbath to, to address some sort of abuse that we need to end. We've talked about, about how we treat foreigners and the, the, the abuse of those that are amongst us in our midst. We've talked about ending sexual abuse, and we've talked about ending physical violence against others. And, and today I want to talk about an abuse that, that, that probably hits a little bit closer to home, and that is verbal abuse. A type of abuse that, that more people use than any other are words. We have become, and we must acknowledge this, a mean society. Mean society. Young people, have you heard the saying? Do they still say this? Sticks and stones may break my bones. You know it. What does it say? But words will never hurt me. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think all the adults, you've heard that as well. You grew up with that phrase, right? I want everyone in here, I don't mean to disparage the person who told you that, but they're liars. They're liars. It's, a, it's an untruth. It's an untruth. Are any of you seventh graders? Who's a seventh grader in here? I was wrestling with a buddy of mine once when we were seventh graders, and uh, my buddy, I was only about five foot two at the time. My buddy was already probably close to six foot feet tall, big guy, his name was Harold, big Argentinian guy, and uh, we were tussling, and as sometimes is want to happen, as guys, we began to lose our tempers, and I lost my temper first, and so I punched him in the face. He, being much bigger than me, responded in like manner, and the next thing I know, I woke up with a cold compress on my head, and his mother screaming at him in Spanish, he had knocked me out, knocked me out. Another time, on another occasion, a kid got so mad at me, he hit me in the head with a baseball bat. And I had to go to the hospital. I got knocked out again on that, on that time. I can tell you, though, those fights and, 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 and a few others that I got into in my day, Anthony, I didn't know any, Anthony knows all his martial arts. I didn't know any of those. I just had a mouth, and then it didn't end up well for me. But those, those, those physical alter, altercations that I, that I got into, none of those hurt as much or as, as, as deeply and intimately as some of the words that have been spoken to me in my life. I remember on one occasion I shared something with a friend and, and a very, very touchy kind of situation and, and, and she didn't believe me. I remember her saying, you know, I, she, she referred to me as a liar. I remember the pain of that moment, that, that lack of trust that she had in what I was sharing with her more deeply than, than any physical altercation. In college, a friend 
or someone I thought was a friend shared an opinion about me with some others in our friend group, and, and, and this opinion kind of came around to me, and I found out who it was, and, 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 and for years after that, there was a, a tension that was there between me and this individual over words spoken, a tension that did not exist between the, after the physical altercations that I had had in my life. The saying should be, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words always hurt more deeply. That's what the statement should be. And the Bible affirms the pain of misused words. The Bible affirms this pain of misused words. If you want to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, we read there just a minute ago, but in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18 which reads, the words of the reckless, the first phrase there, the words of the reckless pierce or thrust like a sword. The, the words of the reckless, reckless words are, are, are someone that speaks inconsiderately or without thought or, or, or without, without processing through what they're saying. They're, the reckless words that we speak can pierce like a sword. That is not words never hurt me. That's words can cut to the core and pierce us. Not many in this room have been or ever will actually be physically abusive to someone else. But probably all of us have been or are capable, very capable of being verbally abusive to another human being. Because we all possess one of the most dangerous weapons that exists in our world that has existed throughout history and that is the weapon of our tongues. In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21, we are told that the tongue, our words, have the ability to bring both life and death. The things that we say, the things that we, that we write, the things that we convey it through language have the power of both death and life. Maybe this is why the Bible spends so much time instructing us about how we should use our, our words, how we should use our, our tongues, there are 133 verses, 133 verses in the Bible that speak just directly about our tongues. The tongue is referred to as a deadly arrow. It's referred to as a sword, as we already heard. It's referred to as the poison of a viper, and the list goes on and on. And by the way, even if you don't say it out loud, even if you don't speak the words out loud, but you type it on a phone or a or a keyboard, or you take a picture and send some post. This, this is our modern day tongue for many of us. This right here, technology. And it's something that we all are susceptible of falling into, being abusive with our words. Turn to the book of James, James chapter three. The book of James I want you to see that biblically, this is affirmed, this idea that we all have this problem. Some of you may say, well, I'm not like that person, or I'm not abusive with my words, or I don't send out things I shouldn't. But, but James chapter 3 shows us something. In James chapter 3 and verse 2, the Bible tells us, we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. And then the context of this verse continues, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is Perfect. So I want to see the hand of the first perfect person in here. Anyone who stumbles in what, who, who does not stumble in what they say is 
perfect, who is never a fault in what they say. None of us are perfect, and the Bible tells us we all stumble in many ways, and if you read all of chapter three, you realize that a lot of it starts with our tongues. It doesn't actually start with our our tongues, we know. The Bible says out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths speak, so so it's what's coming out of our hearts that we are that we are saying, but, but the tongue is the evidence of this struggle that we have. And the Bible says if we control our tongue, then we're perfect. And last time I checked, I'm not perfect, and I'm pretty sure none of you are perfect either. Y'all, there are too many bullies in this world. There is too much verbal abuse in this world. There is too much meanness in this world. And here is the saddest thing. There are too many bullies and there are too many mean people that also refer to themselves as Christians. Too many of us. And we think about that person needs to change and this person needs to change. But, but what if we decided, you know what? We're not going to worry about out there. We're going to worry about just in the Christian world living by the principle that is found in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, which says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What if we as a church, we didn't say, okay, well, uh, the president needs a change, or this person needs a change, or this person. But, but as a church, what if we said, we're going to live by this principle of only speaking if it builds up, only speaking when it, when it gives grace. That doesn't mean that we don't oppose things, because we can't oppose things in a, in a gracious way. We can't oppose wrongs in a, in a respectful and, and courteous way. It's like Mark said in his children's story, there's a way that he can say things that will immediately close people off. And then you can say things in a totally different way in which they're, you receive them well. Which you receive them well. I have a grandma who has this ability. She can tell you you're acting the biggest fool and you still want to give her a hug. Right? And then someone can say barely anything to you and you immediately become defensive. It's, there's ways in which we can say things in which we can build people up and give grace to those. What if we practice only speaking those types of words? What if we all pause before, before texting or tweeting or, or Snapchatting and, and we ask the question, will this exhibit grace? Will this exhibit grace? Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 24 states that the gracious words, remember the Bible tells us that, that, that the tongue has the power of both life and death a lot of how we're using our tongues in this day and age is, is for tearing down and destroying things in a death manner. But it also has the power of life. And Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 24 states, gracious words, that's, that's kind words, that's considerate words, that's thoughtful words, are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Sweetness to the soul and health to, body, to the body. What if we as Christians made a concerted effort to end the use of abusive words and we start not out there even, and maybe not even in the corporate church, but we decide, you know what, we're going to start right in our own lives and in our own homes. Would this begin to improve society? Not just for us, but for, for those around us as well. Would there be a sweetness to the soul in our homes if, if, if maybe we dialed back even the harshness within our own homes? Just some practical thoughts about this. Because really, this is where we should begin, in our own homes. 
There's a convicting text for me in Ephesians chapter six and verse four to myself as a dad and, and, and I believe to moms as well. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Do not exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. It's, it's not talking about not disciplining your children. In other places in the Bible, it clearly tells us we are to discipline. But it talks about the way in which we do it. Don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them, being harsh on them. This is something I will confess I struggle with. Ellen White wrote in the book, Adventist Home, page 434 and also 438, parents should keep the atmosphere of the home pure and fragrant with kind words. But idle and foolish words exchanged between father and mother will lead to the same type of words amongst the children. I was raised in a harsh-speaking home. I was raised with a harsh-speaking dad, a firm dad. Not just firm in, in, in discipline, but he was firm in the, in, in the way he would address when he was upset. My car's a disaster, you know, when my dad got a new car, if you had food in there and he saw you bringing food in there, whoa, you knew better, quick. You know, there was a harshness. There was, there was some of that harshness to him in, in, his, in his younger years. And the thing that I know that all parents do, I've done it, and I'm sure many of you have done it as well, we, we look at our parents and we love them, we appreciate them. You know, I've told lots of stories about my parents. I love them, I appreciate them. I love and appreciate that they let me tell all these stories about them and they don't send me hateful mail from California. They watch every, every Sabbath as they're getting ready for church out there. But we love our parents, but we all look at our families and we say, you know what, I'm not going to be like that, right? I see some heads nodding. We say we're not going to be like that, and then we find ourselves being just like that. And, and, and we're mimicking the things that our parents did many times in many ways. And then the funny thing is, though, when our kids mimic us, we go, what's your problem? I mean, think of the, the foolishness of sometimes the way we discipline our, our children. Why are you speaking to your brother that way? Don't be ridiculous. You should know better than that. Well, that seems pretty ridiculous the way I said that. I don't want you to speak harshly, so I'm going to speak harshly to you. I mean, we, we model it. We model this in our homes. I'm not going to ask you to nod, but just open your eyes wide if you understand what I'm saying. Any of you young people? A couple of them did nod. They didn't even follow my instructions, so it's a... We, we, we do this and we expect something different. We expect a higher standard from our children than, than we even are putting forward. If we speak in certain ways in our homes, idle and foolish words exchanged between mother and father, it will lead to the same kind of words among our children. And eventually if our children begin to speak that way in our home and we don't correct it. If our, if our children are speaking in certain manners in our home and we don't correct it or they're saying certain things in the home and we don't correct it, then, then that will eventually carry out into society as well and into other places in society. I've heard parents say, look, you can say that here, but don't say that outside. We shouldn't say that. Don't say it here. Don't say it out there. As a kid growing up, one of my mom's favorite statements was, when, when she'd hear one of us say, shut up, she'd say, we don't say shut up in this house. And that's actually a principle I've adopted in our home as well. And Christy and I, we don't, use, we don't say shut up, and, and we tell our kids not to as well. The other day, I heard my son, one of my sons, say to his brother, 
shut up. And he wasn't being mean about it. They were talking about sports and, and they were joking back and forth. And, and one of them, I think, was teasing about the Dodgers losing. And uh, the other one said, shut up. Um, and so I called him over and I said to him, I said, don't say, Daddy, I wasn't being mean. I said, I know you weren't being mean. I know you were just joking. He's not upset. I know he's not upset. It's okay. But if you say it here, and you get comfortable saying it here, eventually you'll say it to someone out there. You'll eventually say it to someone out there. We, we start in our homes. Because what happens in the home then plays out outside the home. We need to begin to change the culture in the environments in which we are most comfortable. It's the same for you guys with your, with your friend groups and, and, and the high school students that are here with your friend groups and even the adults with your friend groups. Some of us have friends and we, we speak a certain way in our friend groups that we wouldn't talk in other arenas. But, but, but the problem is, is when we get too comfortable in those environments, we begin to, to carry that out into other places. The other thing is, is that we may be speaking a certain way in our friend group and think that it's totally okay and that no one has a problem with it because, hey, we're all friends and this is just the way we talk. And it may be cutting someone in their core and we don't even realize it. When I was in high school, I was sitting at a Friendly's restaurant. Friendly's was, anyone remember Friendly's, the old ice cream shop? And we were sitting at a Friendly's eating and, and and in our society, we become a much more politically correct society. And I know we lament some of these things, but in some of these areas, this is very good. We would use a lot of slang, and we would use uh, slang to address each other. And we would use terms that, that would never be accepted in this society now, which is good. We shouldn't say these things, but, but it was part of, part of our, our, our subculture. And we would use, at times, and some of you will remember this, that, that back in the day, we would use homophobic slangs and homophobic terms. And we were sitting there, we were all joking and teasing amongst each other, and I was sitting there with my friend, and I blurted out one of these terms. I said, stop being, and I said this word, and he started to cry and yelled at me. And my response was, dude, relax, you're embarrassing us. What's your problem? What I didn't know, and what I didn't find out till, till quite a while later is that someone in his family had just shared that they were homosexual and he was trying to process that. And in that moment, my joking is, hey, we just always joke in our friend group like this. Cut to his heart. Well, I always tease this way. This is just the way I am. I, I grew up this way. Can't you take it? It's just a joke. Till it's not, and it's abuse. But if we practice it so much, we don't we think that the other person's being weak or, or being overly sensitive when the reality is, is if we were just mindful of our words and cautious of our words and we did what the Bible tells us, only what is able to build up, only what is gracious, what a better society we would live in. What a better society we would live in. So even amongst your friend groups, well, we just tease each other. Maybe be mindful about the way you use words even amongst your friends and amongst your peers. Be mindful what you text and what you tweet and what you Snapchat even amongst your peers. And I know there's other social media things that I have no idea about and you're thinking, what an old guy, we don't even use those things anymore, but be gracious to me too. This is where we start. But another step that we can take to end the culture of abuse and meanness 
is to think about the words of Jesus in the book of Matthew. We had studied in, in the spring and we studied in the summer uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so these words should be familiar to you. The book of Matthew chapter five, verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and, and throw it away. Of course, we understand, hopefully we all understand, and if we don't, let's understand this. Jesus isn't talking literally about us mutilating ourselves or, or cutting off some part of our body. He is saying, get rid of those things which cause you to sin, those things which cause you to struggle. struggle. If you say things on Twitter or Snapchat or for some of the older generation on Facebook that you likely wouldn't say anywhere else, get rid of those things. Get rid of them. Cut them out of your life. I quit Facebook three or four times before I could actually let it go. It took me probably three or four times before I actually let it go. I've probably been off of, off of Facebook now for at least probably eight to 10 months. And let me tell you something, I'm just fine without it. I used to always get back on it because I would use the excuse of, of well, you know, I won't be able to keep in touch with these people or I'm gonna miss out on this or this or that. And at the end of the day, I still love you. I think most of you still love me. We're good, even though I'm not on Facebook. I still love all of you. I don't remember as many of your birthdays. I apologize for that, but, but I still, still love you. But you get rid of those things in your life that, that cause you to struggle. I, I got rid of Facebook uh, for three reasons. One, it made me sad. I'd see things on there that people were doing with their lives, friends of mine that, 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 that I knew knew better in their lives, maybe some things they were doing on Sabbath or some other things they were just doing in their overall lives, and, and it hurt my heart, and I'd be sad. Ruined days. I'd also got rid of it because I found that I was like one of those people where they say, oh no, I only spend like 15 minutes on Facebook and if I really timed it, it was like an hour and 15 minutes on Facebook. And some of you are nodding because you know it's true. All of you that say you spend only 20 or five minutes on it, just put a watch next to yourself next time because I did that and whoa, you feel, it's convicting right there. There's no denying it. But the third reason I did is because I would also see things on there and they would make me upset. And when I got upset, I said way too many things. I typed way too many things in response to other people on there that I later regretted. That I later regretted. And all that had happened was there was tension now between us. Facebook was the tongue that I needed to cut off. Is there something you in your life need to get rid of that leads you to use words in an abusive way? Is there something in your life that you need to get rid of that, 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 that causes you to think negatively and so then when you're having conversations with others, you then speak negatively? Maybe some of you need to stop watching Fox News or CNN. Get rid of those things in your life. Go back to reading the newspaper, it's much more balanced. Facebook was a tongue that I had to get rid of. Maybe it's something else that you need to get rid of. A third practical step is to begin to use words to build people up. You know, if we're using our mouths for bringing life, then we won't be bringing death, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 tells us to therefore encourage one another and build one another up. If you are putting your words to good use, there won't be as much time to be critical. There won't be as much time to be harsh. There won't be as much time to be negative. One of the hardest times in our family, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, is in the mornings trying to get everyone ready to go somewhere. It is hard to get three boys 
six, eight, and 10 years old out the door. My wife would say it's hard to get four boys, six, eight, 10, and 40 out the door. It is, it is hard to, 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 to get them going. And, and a lot of times, not so much with Christina, but, but with the boys and I, there's this, there's this tenseness. There's this terseness that, that happens between us. Recently, Carrie Wangsness's mom, who lives in Minnesota and watches us sometimes, if you're watching us, hello, Carrie Wangsness's mom uh, sent me a book about improving dialogue and communication within our, our family. And so I was reading through some of that. I was looking through some of that. And, and it gives these suggestions on things you should do to improve dialogue. And one of them was give everybody an imaginary award. And so we were running a little bit late and I was getting kind of in that tense mode. And I said, you know what? This morning I'm gonna make a commitment to, to, to trying this out. And so we got in the car and I gave them all an imaginary award. And I held out my hand with a fake trophy in it. There was no, there was, it's, it's, it's like how you see right now. You see this, see this beautiful trophy? I don't know if I dropped it at one point or something because Dayton like then held out his hand to Levi and, get, and picked it up and gave it to him. I think I must've dropped it on the exchange, this imaginary award, but I gave them all this thing and they were laughing and I was laughing. And guess what? There was a sweetness like honeycomb in the car and the terseness was gone and it wasn't because we weren't still running late, but just because we decided, I had decided, to change the use of my words that morning to something positive. If we begin to, to think about ways in which we can occupy the air with good words, we will see our abusive words begin to dissipate. I struggle with this. So if you struggle with it, I'm not condemning. I'm saying this is something I struggle with. But we can, we can change, begin to change the culture. And then finally, a final way, but the first way really that we can change the weapon of abuse we all struggle with, which is our tongues, is from Psalm 51 and verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I recently quit Twitter, but in the past I've been on Twitter calling for a change in the discourse in our church. I've been on the Twitter calling for a change in, in the discourse in our world and in, in our politics. And, and something God's been, been trying to remind me of is that my greatest influence of change is right here. And your greatest influence of change is you sitting there right now. Something I've learned, no matter how many times I write to President Trump to ask him to tone it down, and I have actually sent things to President Trump. There's some aide in the basement that's read some letters from Pastor Chad Stewart, Spencerville Church, hoping that he'll be a little bit gentler on, on things. I can't change him. And no matter how many times I may say to you, I can't change you if you struggle with being abusive with your words. But I can't allow God to change me. And you can allow God to change you. You can't change the person next to you. You probably can't even change your spouse. You may be able to have some influence on your kids still. But you can allow God to change you. We have too many bullies in this world. We have too many bullies in the church. And it is time to end the abuse of words. And the only place I know to start is with me. 
And maybe for you, the only place to start is with you. Jesus, may we learn, as Ellen White said, the chief requisite of language is that it be pure and kind and true, that it be an outward expression of inward grace. And Jesus, may I ask that you will remind me tomorrow morning, I ask that you will remind my brothers and sisters in here, those that are watching us live right now, those that will be watching on Hope Channel, Lord, I ask that you remind us to, to pray the prayer found in Psalm 141. God posts a guard at my mouth. God set a watch at the door of our lips. Jesus, we pray for you to change our culture of abusive words. And Jesus, begin with us. In your name, amen.